Ladies, ladies, ladies. All right, right now, I'm just going to make a big, bold statement. We must start putting our health first. All right, I'm going to repeat that. We must start putting our health first. How the hell are we going to keep showing up day in, day out, crushing it, being there for our family, being there for our friends, living the life we want, and living until we're 90 or 100 like I want to? The truth is we have to start learning all the stuff that's coming out about women's health. And so today I've got the health and wellness icon herself. My girl, JJ Virgin is in the house and we're just gonna dive deep, no BS, on all the freaking health myths that have been out there that we need to start debunking so that we can actually start to lean into the ways in which we can make ourselves and our hormones more healthy. Now, in case you don't know, JJ Virgin is a four-time best-selling author, celebrity nutrition expert, fitness expert, and podcast host. So guys, get freaking ready, get your pen, get your paper, because this is going to be very detailed on how we dive deep in what and how we can become metabolically healthy in order for us to show up and be freaking badasses that we want to be. And right before we dive into the episode, guys, please do rate and review this. Honestly, my goal, my big freaking audacious goal is to impact women on a global scale. And so I need your help. Please rate, review, share this episode with your homie, and let's start helping women take control over their health. I could figure out what someone's predicted metabolic rate was, you know, and then I could give them the right amount of exercise, the right amount of food, and they would lose one to two pounds a week. Easy peasy. Didn't work. I was taught in graduate school that it was calories in, calories out. That was the next myth I was going to bring up. (laughs) Okay, well, let's get this one because this one makes me insane. JJ Virgin in the house. So happy to be in the house. This is what I have to do to hang out with you. I know. Punch you down. (laughs) It's true. I'm so excited. So we spent some very um, intimate time together Mm -hmm. a few weeks ago, and we were really talking about all the kind of the myths that's out there, all the BS that's out there, all the things that we've been told is true, isn't true, and it's actually making us more and more overweight, unhealthy, and feeling even worse about ourselves. So today, girl, I want to go really deep on all the myths that we've been told. Let's start shedding light on them. And then I'd love to then talk about how we actually get to the truth and then what we do about the truth. So then we'll go into the hacks part of it. Perfect. Let's do it. All right. So the first one that I I get so many questions about this and it really holds women back because they feel badly about themselves. Belly fat means that you're fat or you're lazy. (laughs) Tell me how much of this utter bullshit and why that's holding us back. You know, this is actually why I decided I was going to focus. And I don't even want to say weight loss because we have been looking at this all wrong. The reality is for the majority of women, the last thing we want to focus on is losing weight. We actually want to focus on holding on to and building muscle. And when you do that, your body will start to shed fat. But here's what happened early on um, as I started to work in this. Back when I was a personal trainer, like, I think it was almost 40 years ago now. It's so crazy. I was like, what? Yes. One of the first personal trainers, there were three of us. And and everyone was hiring us because they wanted to lose weight. And what I discovered were the people that I was working with were trying harder, were more sophisticated with what they should eat. They were like doing everything right, 
but nothing was happening. And then they were like, and again, society would look at them going, well, they're just, they're just lying around the couch, right? And in fact, I was going to go do the Biggest Loser teen version, and they had me go talk to one of the Biggest Loser doctors. And I remember sitting and talking to him. He goes, people are overweight because they overeat and they're lazy. And I went, holy smokes, you're one of the people doing this show. This is, this is just such a disservice to people. What if... What if the fact that you can't lose weight is because you aren't healthy, that you actually have to get metabolically healthy to be able to lose fat and hold on to muscle? And this, one of the symptoms of being unhealthy is not being able to lose that weight. What if that was the case? What if it isn't that this whole idea that we lose weight, we get healthy? No, what if it is you actually get healthy and a byproduct is losing fat? And we really have to distinguish between weight and fat. Because if you're losing weight, but you're not losing your waist, you're making yourself worse, not better. And a lot of the practices that are out there will do just that. They'll hurt you. God damn. Okay, so how do we start to hear that message? I think that that really helps people right now that are emotionally stuck because they just, they feel badly about right. themselves because there's that moment of hopelessness where you're like, I feel like I've tried everything and I just feel worse about myself. Um, how do we then start to actually unwind that? Obviously, the first thing is knowledge. I think that's super powerful. So what you said is really freaking strong. But now how do we actually use that to figure out how we start to... Because, in fact, what if it's our hormones? Yeah, well, here's the thing. So I got obsessed with this. Now, early on, when I was working with clients and I'd give them what... I was taught in graduate school that it was calories in, calories out. That was the next myth I was going to bring up. <laughs> okay, well, let's get this one because this yes. one makes me insane. And so in order to lose weight, and again, we weren't looking at body composition, just weight. And if you want to lose a lot of weight, lose your muscle. It's heavy, right? Don't lose the fat. It's fluffy. And you'll look like a fluffier version, smaller version of yourself, not what we're looking for. And you'll be less healthy, not more healthy. But what happened was I was a 500 calorie deficit. You'd lose one pound a week. 1,000 calorie deficit, two pounds a week. I love math. This is fantastic. I could outline a simple thing. I could figure out what someone's predicted metabolic rate was, you know, and then I could give them the right amount of exercise, the right amount of food, and they would lose one to two pounds a week. Easy peasy. Didn't work. And I thought, this is wild that I am doing this with someone and they're spending all this money and cheating. That was your now, assumption. Whew, thankfully, I took some women away for a week where I controlled everything. And I mean, they were, we were all in the same house. There was no way for them to cheat. I knew how much they exercised. I monitored every meal. Some people lost weight. Some people didn't. And some people gained. And that's when I knew that our body's not a bank account. It's a chemistry lab. Now, what would be the things that would impact your body's ability to not be able to drop that fat, right? What would do that? And turns out, like, there's so many different things. This is why this calorie thing is so ridiculous. Like, we could eat the same things and have different responses based on our gut microbiome, based on our hormones, based on our thyroid function, based on stress. I did... I started meditating. I was telling Dr. Joe Dispenza this. I started meditating and dropped five pounds. I'm sitting on my butt with an eye mask on. And I go, you know, this is so funny. Like, if there was ever a case of your body's not a bank account, 
I'm expending less calories. I'm sitting or lying down. And I added an hour more of sitting or lying down into my day and I lose five pounds. Come on. So you know, stress is a huge one. Sleep is a huge one. Um, how much muscle mass you have, what's your age, what are your genetics, what's going on with your sex hormones, this idea that you can start to get into perimenopause and things aren't going to go wacky, that's going to go totally crazy. Mm. But there's some ways you can work around it. What about your insulin? What about blood sugar, leptin? There's so many different things that impact this. And so if someone is struggling, the first thing you need to make sure is that you're looking at the right things. And what I really want people to do is stop using a scale as a mean girlfriend that's mm. shaming them. You would never put on a blood pressure cuff, get your blood pressure done and say, oh my gosh, I'm a bad person. My blood pressure is high today, right? <laughs> would we ever? No, no. But yet we step on a scale. We don't know what's actually going on there because all we're getting is the weight number. We don't know of that weight, how much is actually muscle? Mm -hmm. And how much is skeletal muscle? And how much is fat? And where is that fat? Because we might not like, like fat on our thighs, but fat on your stomach, that deep visceral fat's way worse. And so we have to start looking at a scale as this biometric tool, right? And we have to start looking at it and going, okay, based on these numbers, what do I need to do? Oh, I think I really need to focus on lifting heavy weights. That's my first priority or, oh, wow, I better check and see if something's going on with my thyroid, right? You know, so you start to prioritize what's going on and realizing that excess body fat is purely a symptom of something else not working. And most of the time, I'm going to make a broad statement, but rarely do I really see it's because someone's sitting on the couch watching Netflix and eating, you know, garbage food all day long. I just don't see it. I mean, and I've been doing this for 40 years. Wow, that is so powerful. And for myself, the stepping on the scale really was, it was like, okay, this is my, I kind of liken it to like where you check the weather, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you check the weather to see if you need a sweater, if you need a t-shirt. The scale for me was actually an indication of how I was going to feel that day. And so if the weight went up, it meant that, oh, Lisa, you've messed up somehow. And so now I would feel badly about myself. Wow. If the scale went down, I'd be proud of myself that I got the scale to go down. And okay. That, yes. What if it went down because you lost two pounds of muscle? A hundred percent. It never dawned on me. And so I got into this spiral of weighing myself. Okay, I need to lose more weight. Let's go back to the gym. How many calories have I burnt today? And so the whole hormone piece, mm. the whole like, what are you actually weighing is so damn powerful. And it never dawned on me until I started to dig in. And I think about how many people a, at the beginning of the year want to like get their health back on mm -hmm. track. They often do it with a partner. And often, especially, I'm just going to say, if it's a guy, their body fat is going to change and develop or they're going to lose in a different way than if you're a woman. You think? <laughs> but isn't this crazy how we then go, hang on a minute, he's yeah. losing 10 he's pounds. He's twice as much as me. Yeah, and now you just feel more shameful. You feel more bad about yourself. You feel worse about yourself. And now even saying, look, hey guys, you need to check with your th thyroids. It may be your hormones, even depending on where you are in your cycle, right? Right. Like that's going to have an impact if you're carrying water. That's why it's great to use these bioimpedance scales so you can track it and then use it as information to go, all right, what's going on here? Do I need to give myself a little grace because it's that time of the month? And like, you know... 
maybe back off a little bit on things and, and get a massage? What do I need to do here? But it really can help you also figure out if something's going the wrong way. Like when the pandemic hit, I had a bunch of stressful things happen all at once. And I step on the scale and I think that we should use the scale every day as a tool. Mm. Like if your weight goes up three pounds overnight, you did not gain three pounds. Unless, I, there, like you would have to mainline sugar to do that. You can't get enough calories in to do it. So that's, I mean, the first obvious thing is, is to look at the scale and go, oh, wait a minute, I've seen the scale go up three pounds overnight. What was going on? Was I eating a food I was intolerant to that caused an inflammatory response that now I'm dealing with, right? So it really allows you to start to connect the dots between what you're doing, what you're eating, how it's working for you, right? Just as if you were wearing a continuous glucose monitor, which is another awesome thing, you know, or, or taking your blood pressure, any of those other types of things. It's so key important to do. I love that. What type of scale did you say? So used to be these were really expensive. And the preferred thing to do is go get something called a DEXA scan. And a DEXA scan is something that we do for bone density. And by the way, super important for everybody listening. If you've not done a, a DEXA scan for your bone mineral density, we should do this when we're, we're 20. Because that's when we can really effectively change our bone. They don't have people do it till they're 50 or 60. Hey, you know what? It's a little tough then, mm-hmm. right? Because you've already lost. And what you want to do is see where you are in your 20s and 30s so you see what you need to do, right? Super important. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think DEX is something we should do twice a year because it's going to give you not just your bone mineral density, but also it's going to tell you how much muscle mass you have, where is it, like it gives you your skeletal arms and legs and if it's even or not even, tells you your body fat and tells you where it's located so that you can see if you have more of that visceral fat. That's the very inflammatory fat. That's the problematic fat. Now, at home, because obviously you're not going to have one of these at home, you can get something called a bioimpedance scale. These used to be super expensive. Like I have a $5,000 one at home. Jesus. And what's funny is the new ones are probably better than my old $5,000 one, right? It's like the old cell phones that you used to have to carry around. But what it's going to give you is it's going to tell you your visceral adipose tissue, that bad fat. It's going to tell you your body fat, and it's going to tell you your muscle mass. And then you can look at this and go, all right, maybe I think I need to lose 10 pounds. But if I'm really looking at where I'm at, Actually, what I need to do is put on five pounds of muscle. Mm. And if I were to do that, because everyone, especially this time of the year, they're like, how do I boost my metabolism? Like, you put muscle on. Muscle is the biggest way, as long as your thyroid's working well, because that's the most important, right? That is a real temperature gauge for your metabolism. But the second thing is muscle. Mm. And the more muscle, it's kind of, I call it metabolic spanx. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect visual, right? So, because it holds everything in tighter. People are like, I want to spot reduce. You can't spot reduce, but just hold everything in tighter. Have more muscle. And when you have more muscle, your body has to do a lot more work to keep that on. So that's important. And the minute you start to put more muscle on, the muscle is the first place we start to get insulin sensitive, which means our body handles blood sugar better. Mm -hmm. And if our body can handle blood sugar better and our insulin's lower, we're actually able to use stored fat for fuel. So it's like all this good stuff. And if you do slip up a little bit, muscle's where we store our sugar Mm. first. 
So more muscle, more places to store it. That doesn't mean like eat more pie, but I mean, it, it does give you a little, a little bigger margin for error, right? Yeah, that's so powerful. And what I love is that it's, it's very actionable and it helps people not feel lost. And that's the biggest、yeah. thing is that we're so focused on the, the fat, the weight loss that we are doing women such a freaking disservice that when they reach 50, 60, like we're fucking screwed. Oh, you, so I will tell you, I still remember this client, Vicky. And I was like, gosh, I'm watching you, Vicky. And she's like, was the most dedicated person. She was so careful with her calories. She dieted her entire life. So she would go on these extreme diets. And when you do that, if you're not eating enough protein and you're not lifting weights, guess what you lose a lot of? Muscle.、Mm-hmm. So she'd lose fat and muscle, but then she'd go off the diet because it was so r- ridiculously restrictive and she'd gain fat. She'd go back on the diet, she'd lose muscle and fat. She'd go off the diet, she'd gain fat. By the time I met her, she, was, she had so much body fat and so little muscle. And someone like that, all you would focus on first is let's get your muscle going.、Mm-hmm. Let's make sure that we have that really active. So, what if we focused instead on muscle aging? I like to say, forget aging gracefully. Like, <laughs> I'm not aging gracefully. I'm going to age powerfully. What if we do, right? It's like everything is about like, how do we get stronger? All right. So, the other one that I've really, that we kind of are touching on here, but it's really the difference between. I don't like to point the finger at like the gender between men and women and things like that, but a lot of studies are done on men. A lot of、right. studies don't take into account our hormones. And so there's a lot of messaging out there about fasting, about intermittent fasting, about long term fasting. We spoke about this off camera when we were hanging out on vacation. So I'd love to actually hear your thoughts though on fasting, intermittent fasting, and then as women specifically, how we should either be using it or not using it. Let's look at diets as tools. And we use that tool to learn stuff about ourselves. And we might go, you know what, I tried that, that sucked for me. Fine, that's perfect. You know, or these things really worked well, right? So that's the first important thing. And what we tend to do, and kind of, I, so many of my friends are nutrition authors, as you could imagine. And what I see with all my friends is they write the book that worked for them. Aha,、uh-huh, that's interesting. But think about it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then there's this thing well, if it worked, and they'll look at someone and go, well, if it worked for them,、mm. well, maybe that would mean it would work for you, but maybe it wouldn't. Maybe it's the age you are. Maybe it's the life you leave. Maybe it's the, you know, your sex. Because, yeah, women are not men. You know, it's like, like I love the statement Alison Armstrong says. She goes, you know, men are not hairy women. I'm like, they are just. <laughs> But if you look at this, like men are kind of like a, a VW bug, right? There's not, it's, there's not a lot of like wiring and things that need to happen there. You know, you could kind of on off, right? It's simple. Women, we are like this Ferrari, like there's a lot of things going on. One little thing, things start to go sideways, right? There's、mm-hmm. just a lot of stuff going on just with hormones alone. And so, You've got to look at intermittent fasting, go, and, and the big challenge with intermittent fasting right now is it kind of now means everything. It means like you had 12 hour eating window, or it means that you do every other day eating. So I'm going to put it into there's time restricted eating, or, right, or time restricted feeding, and intermittent fasting or fasting. Now, we need to eat within a, a time window. There's a, a great researcher, Dr. Sachin Panda, who, who talks a lot about circadian rhythm. And I think it's very important. To think circadian rhythm first on food. 
If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with hires as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about? That maybe not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. I don't know how you were raised, but how I was raised is you got up in the morning, you ate breakfast about an hour after you woke up, you went to school, you had lunch, you came home, and my mom would always say, don't eat, you're going to spoil your dinner. And she would like serve dinner like too late. So I would always end up sneaking in the kitchen and eating. And my perfect would have been like breakfast, lunch, and an early dinner, right? I don't know, like, I remember when the snacking started. The snacking started in the U.S. when they thought that fat made you fat and fat made you have heart disease. And so we'll pull all the fat out and give you high carbs. And all of a sudden, people are starving all the time and they're snacking all the time. (laughs) But the reality is the first thing that we look at here before, like, everyone wants to go straight into something, I say we need to train for whatever we're moving into. For time-restricted feeding, first thing you need to do is make sure you're eating by the plate So you have good blood sugar control. You can go for hours in between meals, which you should be able to do. And there's a physiological reason for it. So protein, fat, fiber is the blood sugar trifecta. Protein's going to improve satiety. It's more thermic. Protein and fiber work together to slow down stomach emptying. So you feel fuller longer. Fat triggers the release of some chemicals to your brain. Say, hey, you ate. It's all good. Just Mm. chill, right? And so 
Let's say you eat breakfast maybe about one to two hours after waking. You actually don't want to get up and eat right away because if melatonin's still up, it actually has your pancreas a little asleep and you don't really release your insulin well, so it's harder for you to digest. So, you know, hour or two after waking, you break your fast, ideally protein first. Then you really want to go like four to six hours before your next meal because it takes about five hours to get it out of the stomach and start to move it through. And we want to give the body the ability to move something called the migrating motor complex into your small intestine and start cleaning stuff out. And if you're eating every couple hours, you're raising blood sugar, you raise insulin, and when insulin st- and then your, your insulin drives your sugar back down. Mm. That seems cool, but if you eat again very soon, while sugar moves fast, insulin doesn't. So if you're eating every couple hours, insulin stays high instead of coming back down. It's inflammatory and it's locking the doors to the fat cells. So now you can't burn off stored fat. So you start to get to be one of those people who's like, I'm hungry every couple hours. And if I don't eat, it's, well, it's because you have elevated insulin now and you can't access stored fat. So yes, this is the problem. So the very first thing is let's push breakfast a little bit and then let's work on what time you eat dinner. Because one of the single most important things you can do is stop eating at least three hours before bed. And longer is better. And, it is, and here is the reasoning for it. First of all, just mechanically, if you just ate and you lie down, higher likelihood of having GERD, of having reflux. Mm. But the bigger reason is as you start to prepare for sleep, your melatonin comes up and it basically is trying to put your body to sleep. And one of the things that puts to sleep is your pancreas. And that means your body can't secrete the insulin it needs to. And that means your blood sugar is going to stay higher than it should. Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, and you'll see it. Like if you wear a continuous glucose monitor, your blood sugar will be higher in the morning. If you wear an aura ring, my aura ring literally told me, looks like you ate late last night. I'm like, okay, this is a little weird. Like, are you spying on me? But it, you know, (laughs) I'm like, holy smokes, you know, but, you know, so, so if you look at and go, okay. So let's say I got up at 6 a.m. and I ate breakfast at 8 and I'm going to bed by 10 because I'm going to get my sleep. That's a whole nother thing. Like just poor sleep can make you weight loss resistant and make you gain weight. Just poor sleep. You can do everything else right. Screw up your sleep. Big problem. So you go to bed at 10. You back it down. Then you're having dinner and you're finishing it by 7. And you're having breakfast somewhere around 8. You already are under the 12 hours. And apparently only 10% of the population is eating under 12 hours, which is insane. And I think a lot of it, like the worst stuff is the evening stuff. Mm. First of all, no one's eating broccoli at like 10 o'clock at night. No one gets like the midnight snack (laughs) and goes and gets the broccoli. I need some salmon. It's midnight. But I think exactly what you just broke down there is probably a big cause of it because people don't realize, right? So they're breaking fast too early with the wrong foods. It's spiking their insulin. Now they're always hungry. They're having to eat every couple of hours. So if people are listening to you right now and they haven't done the work, I remember this where I'm like, you have your last meal at 5 p.m. I had my last meal almost right before I went to bed because at the time I thought I was like lifting weights. I was like, oh, you have to eat six times a day. That's what everyone is mm-hmm. saying. And so I remember when I first heard someone say that they were their last meal would be 5 p.m. And in my head, I'm like, how are you not starving by the time you go to bed? And the problem is until you're able to adjust the way you break your fast, the actual meal that you eat, you won't act, you, you, I think you'll struggle in having that last meal earlier because you're always going to be hungry because you're not satisfying yourself. Well, two things. It's the, 
it's the eating by that plate of the protein fat fiber. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the number one. And you talked about that. When you break your fast, that meal you break your fast with is going to determine whether your day is amazing or is going to suck. Because <laughs> if you break that fast with, let's say that you go to the, the Starbucks and you get the skinny latte, which is all sugar but because they took the fat out. It's skinny. Change? I don't it's understand. The skinny latte is not making you skinny. And you got the healthy morning muffin, which I was doing a show once and I, was, I brought that muffin because it was the same as two Hostess cupcakes and sugar. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, but no self-respecting woman is standing at Starbucks if they had two Hostess cupcakes would go, I'll have the cupcakes, thanks. And could, put you, could you put some extra sugar in there, in the coffee? No, they wouldn't do that. But they had the skinny latte thinking they were being good because it said skinny, not realizing that when you pull the fat out of the milk, you actually just up the sugar, which is going to turn fat. So you've got the skinny latte, that little milkshake there, and then you've got the cupcakes. Because you know what a muffin is? A muffin is just a cupcake without frosting. That is what it is, right? And the minute you did that, where you basically are getting almost no protein, you're getting some fat, and fat and carbs together is like the really bad doomsday because now you've raised blood sugar, you've got these extra calories and fat so easy to go like, oop, let's store that. Um, But the worst thing about it is, is you just screwed your day Mm. because now you've got elevated blood sugar elevated insulin, you're dropping back down the blood sugar, you don't have the fiber, you don't have the protein to help offset this whole thing, and you're hungry and you go, God, this is so weird. Like I just ate two hours ago. Why do I need something? Well, I'm not going to have a big meal. I'll just have a fat-free biscotti. I'll have some of those little snack packs, right? And you're just, you're off to the races and you can't get out of that. So it has to start first. Like when I look at things... You know, we all want to dive in and it would be great if you could just take someone a month and stick them in a place and you could do this. But the reality is if we first just went, what if we just started eating better food? What if we made sure that we got our protein first at every single meal and breakfast, we made a commitment, we were getting 30 grams. Mm -hmm. That would change everything. And then next thing is add in more non-starchy vegetables. So we add before we take away, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then the next thing that we do is we go, all right, now that I'm doing that, I'm kicking out my snacks. I'm putting in water instead or ice cream tea or something like that. Now I'm making sure I'm stopping eating three hours before bed. Four is better. Five is better because when you're sleeping, should you be digesting? No, that's not what we're doing when we're sleeping, hopefully, right? Um, And even if we were, we're not digesting well because of the fact that melatonin is shutting a lot of that down. So big problems. Then you have your breakfast pushed a little bit. So let's say we start now two hours after we wake up, you know, and then you have your lunch and your dinner. Now, if someone is really working on building muscle or they're under a lot of stress um, or having issues with their period, shortening the, the window down from, from like past 10 hours, I don't think is a good idea. Mm. I think it's more of a source of stress. And I don't know for most women, apparently the average woman is getting about 40 grams of pro- 45 grams of protein a day. That is despicable. 45. It's really, because, so the difference between men and women, besides the obvious ones, are men have about 3 to 5% body fat essential. They have to have to survive. Women were in the 10 to 15%. So we've got higher body fat, less muscle mass. We can build muscle as well as, if not better than a man, right? We have testosterone. It's our biggest Mm -hmm. hormone. Everyone thinks it's estrogen. We have more testosterone than estrogen. However... 
um, we've got to really focus on building on building that and giving ourselves the protein to do it. So the reason men can lose weight easier is they have more muscle. So we just need to have more muscle. And that starts with, you've got to have the building blocks for it. And 45 grams of protein ain't going to cut it. That's because your body's going to preferentially use that to, to keep your body going, right? To rebuild mm. necessity. You want to have muscle. You've got to have extra to be able to start to build muscle. So how much do you recommend on average women should be in protein a day? So first thing you figure out is what is your ideal body weight? How do you figure that out? You do your height, you do your frame size. And it's interesting having like done this with so many women over the years, very rarely do I see a large frame size. Mm. Everyone says they're big boned. I've seen very few big boned people. Most people have a medium frame. So you figure out, and then in that range, you go, okay, where, where do I feel good in that range? You don't pick the crazy number you've never been in your life. Like, don't do that to yourself. Just like, don't buy clothes in your closet and put them in your closet that are the skinny clothes that don't, don't do that. Just don't do these things. That's mean. Like, right? You know? Yeah. And I love that how you feel, because that's really where I want to go with, like, everything here that we're talking about. Because as you had started to talk about, you know, we're like, if you have your last meal and you're still starving, like... All, like if you have sugar, if I get inflamed, I feel sluggish, I slow down, my brain can't like be as right. quick. And when your business is relying on your brain, right, like that's a big deal for me. So all of these things, like even if I, um, if I want confidence, if I'm hungry, if my health is out of whack, if I'm tired, I feel way less confident. Of course. And so... I love that you then just even ended that on like, where do you want to, how do you want to feel? Because you can say, I want to be at this weight. But if you're feeling crap, like, is that really your North Star? So I love that you said all that. Um, and well, I think this is where the DEXA helps, like knowing your body composition. And I'll give you a case in point. I've basically weighed 150 pounds since I was in high school. Now, I remember going to try to be a model and they go, you need to be 120 pounds. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, I've been 120 pounds since I was like 10. Like, I can't physically be 100. I don't know, like, I don't have that body type. And at 150, I weigh, I like, I have 14% body fat. Like, I'm just a very, I always have been a very muscular person. However, if I got stuck into this thing that where you look and they go, I should be 140. Well, the only way that's getting there is if I absolutely stopped moving Mm-hmm. and starve myself a bit it like to, to lose, lose your the muscle, muscle. it yeah, would be ridiculous yeah. so this is where we really have to have a reality check and if we focus instead on what do i need to do to be my healthiest stuff if this is my instrument this is how i'm going to be able to focus right are some of the goals i put don't make any sense for me mm. you know mm. like i was just working with one of our friends and we did her her body composition and i looked at her body fat and i go for you you at 30% body fat would be fantastic. That's a great goal for you because you have a curvier body. That's her body type. Let's make you the best you possible. And so what does that mean in terms of muscle? What does that mean in terms of body fat? What do we need to do in terms of your health habits to get you there? And one piece of that is diet. But what I think people look at is they look at weight as an absolute and diet as the only, as the only tool. It's a tool in the toolbox. And a lot of times, it's not the most important one because I can't get around if you're not sleeping well and you're a stress bomb. 
right? Oh, dude, let's talk about sleep. You mentioned it a couple of times, and this is so powerful because that was one of my myths. Where like, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Oh yeah, a lot of that. And is you'll be dead up. sooner. That would、yeah. be awesome, <laughs> dude. Seriously, so talk to me about that because I and the reason why I definitely want to bring this one up is especially is because for me that was the first thing that I would drop. Right, like, oh, I've got a dream,、mm. I've got a goal, I want to, you know, do this, I want to go there, I want to, and then it's like, oh, well, you don't have enough hours in the day, Lisa. Oh, well, I'll just do less sleep, and especially nowadays where women are trying to do everything. Right, they're trying to like show up for themselves,、um, show up for their family, maybe crush a career. And so when they look at everything they have to do, the sleep is the thing that people go. This is the easy one to cut. Yeah. So first of all, we can be Wonder Women, but we're not Super Women.、Mm. And I remember looking at all this as I was a young mom, and I was in grad school, two babies. Basically, I was the financial support for the family. Running like my own business, and I went. I did not sign up for this. Like I didn't sign up for this. And then you know the housekeeping. This I go. Okay, let's look at all of this and go. What what do I not have to do? So you know I don't think that there's any reason we need to be martyrs. And I think that the roles of what a woman does and a man does need to be completely blown up because times have changed. So first off, drop all that stuff and realize that we're in a marathon, not a sprint. So like. If you can't get the things you need to get done in a day, then you need a reality check.、Mm-hmm. Something's got to shift. Because, and this was so interesting when my son was in the hospital. You know that story where he nearly died and he was in a coma, and I'm sitting there and I have a book launch coming up. I'm the prim- primary financial support for my two kids. They are teens. One's in a coma, hovering between life and death. Book launch is about to happen. If it doesn't go, I will be bankrupt. And I'm like, uh, uh, you know, it's like now. What do you do? And I realized that my self care was going to be the thing that got me through this. That I had to show up every day, game on, because I was I was getting into the hospital and making life and death decisions for my son, and, and then I had to be able to think straight to do interviews, etc. And I went, I can't do that. Tired.、Mm-hmm. I can't do that if I haven't eaten well. So I prioritized my sleep. And I got eight hours of sleep every night. I prioritized what I was eating, and I prioritized my exercise, and I took a load of stress supplements. But because sleep is so, like, if you are not getting good sleep, it's going to mess up everything. Everything. You're going to be more insulin resistant when you wake up in the morning, so your blood sugar is going to be more off. You're going to start to raise stress hormones, so you're going to be now catabolic, breaking down muscle. You're going to be laying down more belly fat. Your gut gets leakier, so your gut's now more permeable. So you now have food intolerances, which now start to create this inflammation. You start to disrupt your gut microbiome. You lower your stomach acid, so now bacteria and candida and all sorts of stuff start to flourish. I mean, it, and it's like there's. Nothing positive here. It throws off your thyroid. It can lower progesterone, so now it can make you estrogen dominant. Like it just everything goes sideways because of poor sleep. And this idea that we can hack our sleep is no. You know, it's just a no. You need good quality sleep. And in a priority of like what's most important in terms of your health, I put sleep right up there at the top. Like I don't know how to. Get around that piece, like above diet,、mm-hmm. above exercise, sleep. Wow, that's so powerful! Thank you for saying that.、Um, and as we talk about sleep, it really is the thing that we will won't prioritize. But in you breaking down 
at your most, I couldn't even imagine. I just launched my book, you know, months ago, and I was like, it was super stressful to mm-hmm. have a child in the hospital and for you to sit there and say, what am I trying to do? I've got to show up. How do I show up? I've got to actually prioritize these three things. I really hope everyone at home really heard that because that's what you need to do so that you can show up. And we we now have to flip the way that we think about it. It's the first thing we drop, but now actually mm-hmm. it needs to be the first thing we do. Thank you for that. And then the other thing I wanted to really echo here that I'd love to talk about is your son's condition, is what happened to him. Because I think when I go to, okay, what are the things that really do hold us back from being healthy, like leaning into this needs to be my focus, is that we have a belief system that where we are today, either our health issues or the problems that we're suffering from cannot be either reversed or undone. And the fact that you had a son in the hospital and your doctor basically said, you probably have to say goodbye. Didn't say probably. (laughs) There was no probably. He will die sometime in the next 24 hours. And now I'd love for you to tell us the key things and then where he is today, because I want people to really hear that a doctor, yes, may tell you something. It doesn't mean that it's true. And what you did with the belief and the action is so damn freaking powerful. I hope this breaks people's idea that they're there's no helping them, right? They may feel lost now. And you know, it's bigger than just health. A doctor might tell you something, you have three months to live. You always hear, you know, the person's told three months and they die in three months. Mm. A teacher may tell you, you'll never make it as a writer. Like my English teacher at UCLA told me. So is it the teacher? Is it the best friend? Is it your mom trying to protect you? What is it? I had a mentor at 30 and when I wrote Warrior Mama, I was like, people kept going, how did you know how to do all this stuff? I'm like, I don't know. It was just in me. And then all of a sudden, after like 10 interviews in, I went, oh, I had this mentor when I was 30. All the stuff in the book, the whole way I got through this, she ingrained in me. Mm. And one of the things, there are two important ones, actually. The first one was the only limitations are the limitations in your mind. Now, Lisa, when she says this, I'm like, that is ridiculous. Of course there's limitations. Like, of course there are. But, you know, what if? What if they were just in your mind? What if when a doctor says to you, your son has a torn aorta, it's going to rupture sometime in the next 24 hours, unless we get him to the next hospital, because we can't do the surgery he needs here, but he'll never survive the airlift. And even if he were to survive the airlift... He'd never survive the surgery. And even if he were to survive the surgery, he'd be so brain damaged, it wouldn't be worth it. And I say... Just to give people context, (laughs) your son was hit by a car. Hit by a car, left for dead in the street, torn aorta, multiple brain bleeds, in a coma, 13 fractures, bones sticking through his skin. But, you know, my other son, and this is why it's so important just to create this environment of possibility, right? My other son's listening to this doctor, looking at him. He says, so like maybe a 0.0125% chance he'd make it. And the doctor's like, yep. He goes, that's not zero. We'll take those odds. See, the only limitations are the limitations in your mind. And I went to the doctors at the next hospital and I explained, because you know, after we went through all this and he survived the airlift and survived the surgery and now he's in a coma, and the neurosurgeon's like, he's not going to wake up. I'm like, yeah, he's going to wake up. You know, I'm like, yes, he's going to wake up. And then the orthopedic surgeons are like, we're just trying to get him to be able to walk again. I'm like, he's an athlete. He's going to be running. 
And they were like, oh, crazy mom over there, right? But he's an athlete. He's running, you know. He's, and we just said, prove every doctor wrong. Just prove every doctor wrong. So that was one. And the other important part of that that helped him get through this was I believe that we're never better than when we're challenged. And there were a couple things that Kay, the mentor, gave me. She gave me, first of all, there are no victims, only volunteers. And that we're never better than when we're challenged, right? Now, a, vic- a, a victim would just shrink away, but a victor is going to go game on, mm-hmm. right? And then she said, don't wish it was easier. Make yourself stronger. Ooh, dude, she's right? So whole way through as Grant's going through this, I'm pushing him. And they're like, don't push him so hard. I would sneak him into the gym at Children's Hospital LA because they're like, don't push him so much. I'm like, I'm like, do some push-ups. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he can hardly communicate, but he's like, woof, woof. you know, we, we snuck him out because we were able to take him out of the hospital, but we snuck him into a pool because they're like, we don't think he can swim. We're like, threw him in the pool. We're like, bring the video back. Look what he can do. You know, they were just being so cautious. I was like, we got to push him. Got to push him. That's how he'll get better. That's how we'll get better. That's how everyone gets better, right? Is that we're never better than when we're challenged. Mm. And yet we're so afraid of like not being good enough, not being, but, but you look at the people we love. We love the people who are imperfect and just trying their best mm. and just pushing through it and having epic failures along the way because that's where they're learning the most stuff anyway, right? Yeah. That is so, such a powerful story. Thank you for sharing that, Carl. Um, and there's a big part of it that you didn't say, which is interesting. You just didn't stop. You researched, you talked to people, you were reading, like you were freaking hardcore because you didn't accept the fact that your son was going to die. And that is an important piece because right. I'm not saying that everything's reversible, 100%. I don't want people to think at home that you can cure anything. I'm definitely not saying that. But what I am saying is, have you gone in have you looked at everything have you questioned things have you done your own research and when it's something that you think I really want to walk I really want to run I want to be an athlete I want to do this but I've got this health issue my doctor's told me that I can't and so I don't and now I sit on the sidelines that freaking breaks my heart I know because you're creating their reality yes so what if and this I did this with Grant and it was funny I didn't know what I was doing at the time But after the fact, I now know exactly what I did. I stood there that first day holding a finger in the hospital because everything else was bandaged, like road rash. I I pulled glass out of his skin for years. And so I'm holding a finger, telling him he's going to be 110%. And I had this, I I didn't even know where that 110% came from, but I just kept that vision. I didn't hold the circumstance of what was around and the what ifs and all that stuff. And go, in fact, I was so afraid to go down the what if rabbit hole because I felt like I'd make it real. I believe thoughts create. And so I held that 110% so clear. It was so clear in my mind, so clear in my mind. And is he 110%? Some things he is, some things he's 80, but he's not dead. And so what if we just went, okay, the only limitations are my limitations in my mind. I'm going to create a future self of what I want. I'm going to start acting as if right now. And what if I fall a little short? Well, it's better than sitting on the couch saying I can't do this. And it was interesting, you know, you know, over the pandemic, I got totally into Dr. Joe Dispenza's work. And 
as he's talking through his process, I went, I've been doing this for years. I just didn't realize what it was. Is that that really clear, clear intention that you put the emotion into that you are living as if and you're drawing it to you. That is so true, so strong. And I think you know this, but like my mom, and this is where I'd actually love to go, is that the belief that we have about ourselves. So when we're talking about how do we get healthy, how do we like, what are all the myths that are holding us back? What are the hacks that we can use? One of the things that I like we must address is the excuses we give ourselves of why we're not doing it. So to your point, my mom was always saying, I just can't lose the weight. And then as she got older, the excuse became, I'm too old. Right. And in her 70s, she retires. We start impact theory. She starts watching our content with no influence other than just she was doing the mental work. She flipped and said to herself, I believe I can now. In that thing, in her 70s, girl, she lost 120 pounds. Holy smokes. She was the woman that was sitting on her ass eating because she was like, I can't lose the weight. I'm too old. Right. Hear what she said. I can't lose the weight. Yes. I can't. Just like I had a friend who would always say, I'm starving out of my mind. I'm like, don't say that. Mm. Mm -hmm. You're just reinforcing it. You know, when you say something like, I can't lose weight, I'm too old. The mentor, Kay, said, just put right after that so I don't have to. (laughs) Right? You're just like, how do I let myself off the hook? And maybe if you want to settle for that. But what if the question was, how can I get myself healthier? Because a healthy body will release the fat, Mm. will hold on to the muscle. The number one block you'll have in anything you do is whether you believe you can do it or not. And if you think you're worthy, and I'll tell you, this was the craziest thing. We did a, we did a query to our community and we said, if you're not where you want to be right now with your health, why not? And I thought they'd go, I can't quit sugar. I don't want to stop the cheese and bread. You know, I thought it was one of those. Mm. No, I don't feel like I'm worth it. Which just breaks your heart, you know, just. What do you do about that? Well, you have to start there because if you don't believe you're worth it, look at all of the things in your life and then you have to go back. This is not me. I am not a therapist, but somewhere along the line, someone made that person believe they weren't worth it and they believed them. Wow, that's so heartbreaking. I mean, very true. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about, like, when we talk about even just health mindset, a lot of it is habitual, right? It's, oh, you were brought up where if you cried, your parents gave you sugar. So now you turn to sugar to make you feel be- yourself feel better. Um, at least for me, when I eat sugar, I wake up feeling groggy. I'm more moody. I'm more annoyed. I'm more um, right. typically... There's uh, nothing positive there that just there went really on. Isn't. Like, nothing, yeah. you know? There's nothing... Besides the momentary mouthfeel, there is not one positive. And, you know, I wrote Sugar Impact Diet. I looked. I was like, all right, we really need to know which sugars to choose, which to lose. It's not about eating no sugar because the reality is all carbohydrates turn to sugar. So Mm -hmm. if you want to break it, it down, except for fiber, right? But when you look at just straight added sugar, you there's no positive there. Nothing. Yeah. Growing up, being told so many different messages, though, it was really hard to know what's accurate, what's not. When you get the courage, when you convince yourself you're worth it, right? And you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. I've listened to JJ and Lisa. Like, I really believe that I'm worth it. I'm going to go do it. And if they try something that either is based on a myth, a marketing ploy, let's face it, right? Like, oh, fat makes you fat. So let's have, you know, fat free. You get the emotion 
I'm worth it. You try something, it fails. Now you can start to spiral because now you're telling yourself a failure and now you go back to square one. And what I would say to reframe that is if you think of diets as tools and we're all bioidentical, we're all bioindividually, you know, different and this may or may not have worked for you and that's information. That wasn't a fail. Mm -hmm. The the thing failed for you, which is information that didn't work. But quite often you see people trying things and they're just following the wrong set of rules for them. Mm -hmm. But yet all of a sudden they're like, they feel like a total failure. No, you know, you put me on a vegan diet, I will fail. I feel terrible. Mm -hmm. So I know that, right? So you've got to look and see what things are working for me. Does does intermittent fasting work? I was doing a very time-restricted eating window of eight hours, and I was working out fasted and trying to go do heavy workouts. Didn't work for me. I've increased my weights 30% by eating before I go work out. So now I'm playing around with time of day, right? So you've got to see if someone, but if someone was like, my biggest issue is blood sugar and insulin, I would put them on a, an eight or six hour feeding window and I would shift things versus mm-hmm. if someone was my biggest thing is building more muscle. So you've got to look at these things and use the tool that's right for you and then kind of put blinders on because then you're going to hear all this stuff. You'll be sitting at getting your nails done and she'll go, oh, but my friend was doing the <laughs> blah, blah, blah diet. You should try that. And I've had people go, hey, I'm on this program and that program. Can I be on your program too? And I go, no, you cannot. No, stop it. Just one thing at a time. One thing, see how that works for you. Pull in what works. And honestly, to start, just try eating better food. Like get rid of the, the what I call the dirty processed food, all the ultra processed food. Just start with, let's get protein in. Let's get non-starchy vegetables in eat better food. Yeah, that's so true because I heard someone, oh God, I wish I remembered who it was, but they said they went on the vegan diet because they heard, oh, the vegan diet's really good for you. You're going to be a French fry vegan. But what, yeah, that's exactly what they did. <laughs> they were like picking up all the packaged goods yeah. in the aisles and they're like, oh, this is vegan, cool. It was like vegan yeah. cookies, great. Right, vegan <laughs> cupcakes, yeah, vegan so ice cream. What, so what they ended up doing is vegan said, I'm a vegan. Diet. And then they fail, not fail, but they end up feeling worse about themselves, yeah. right? Because they're just having still sugar. So they're like, I feel really bad on this vegan diet. I guess veganism <laughs> like, doesn't work for me. But it's understanding the the underlying thing that we're trying to say. And then I love your point of not even comparing, putting blinders on. Because for me, when I had gut issues, fatty beef was what saved my life. And so now, instead of following someone blindly, like you said, maybe go, okay, I'm going to try this. Let me put my blinders on. Let me do this. Let me see if it works for me. And now let me monitor how I feel. And that was exactly what I did. I just got my little diary. And I was like, how do I feel when I wake up? Did I sleep well? Do I feel good about myself? Am I happy? Am I laughing? Things like that, Mm -hmm. because you don't realize how what you eat, what you do, then affects your mood. Exactly. And that's honestly like Virgin Diet and Sugar Impact Diet were both written this way. They were written to take people on a journey where they are their own nutritionist, Mm -hmm. right? And they go, okay, I'm going to pull out the foods that classically can really hurt people the most. It also makes it hard to eat dirty processed foods when you pull out soy and gluten and corn and sugar and right (laughs) so you get out a lot of garbage but let's take that out calm the fire do a reset and then see how you feel and and pull things in i think the challenge is you've got muddy waters and this is my issue with intuitive eating is i think we have an inner guidance system we have this intuitive gps it's been completely disrupted 
right? Because if you're inflamed and if you've been eating more of these ultra processed foods that let's face it, are built to make you want more of them, mm. right? That's why they were created. No one pigs out on broccoli. I have never, you know, like that Freaky Eater show that I was on for, for a couple seasons, we never got the, I can't, I can't put the broccoli down. No, it was French fries, it was chips, it was maple syrup. That's what it was. It was, it was the creamy, fatty, salty, sweet, it was never broccoli, salmon, Brussels sprouts. It wasn't, you know, people just don't do that stuff. They don't, but they get a lot of these processed foods that are posing as health foods. That's what drives me nuts. Mm. You go into Whole Foods, you're like, I'm safe here. No, you're not. No, there's danger lurking everywhere in Whole Foods. <laughs> there really is. I mean, because it poses and then it's got agave in there or apple juice concentrate, right? And so it's got all, it's very processed. They've got canola oil and seed oils and stuff in there. And, and you think that you're doing great and you're not. And it's lighting up your taste receptors. You're wanting more. And here's a test. When you eat something, do you go, I need more of that, more of that, more of that, right? That is not, that's not intuitive eating. That's being triggered from processed foods, mm. right? That's an entirely different thing. So in order for you to be able to really get clear on what you need and how you feel, you got to clear it all out, reset, eat healthy. And in fact, there's, an interesting hypothesis called the protein leverage hypothesis that says we will overeat in order to get the amount of protein we need in our diet. Hmm. And especially if you look at a woman who's classically getting about 45 grams, who probably needs, you know, I, I'm telling women 0.8 grams per pound of ideal body weight. So if you think the average woman now is, I think, 160 pounds, but ideal body weight's probably more around 120 to 140. So let's say, you know, 120 pounds, what is that, 90 grams of protein, and they're getting half that. Wow. And it's going to make them want to overeat. That's not intuitive eating. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is when I heard you say, like, oh, I think, you know, in in the intuitive eating is, like, really messing up, you know, messing us up. I was like, what? I thought you would be so on board. The way you just broke it down is so damn clear. It never dawned on me. Yeah, that because you we have big food companies creating trigger foods Right, right, right. Yeah, it never dawned on me. And because I've now been in the space where I have done the elimination diet, I know how things impact me. Like, I know if I have two cookies, the next day my, my left wrist is going to hurt. Mm -hmm. That's how much I know my body and I know with what I eat and impact. That took me time to get there, though. Right. And so when you were like, no, that's crap, like intuitive eating, I was like, oh, shit. Like, I was like, but I've done it. And I was like, yeah. oh, what you're saying is you have to get to the point where you can do intuitive eating but what we're doing right now is we're just going oh cool how do I feel yeah I'm still hungry I'm, I'm hungry and I'm hungry for salt and I'm hungry for those sweet chips yeah, that yeah, you know yeah. it's like no yeah you want to connect the dots but you have to first go through like a clearing out reset that's where I take people I pull out what I call high five foods high food high food inflammatory uh foods so things like um Gluten, dairy, corn, egg, soy, peanuts, sugar, artificial sweeteners. Don't even get me started on artificial sweeteners. Um, and really focusing on swapping into eating good, clean, whole foods diet. Then you can go back and go, all right, now that I know what feeling good feels like, you know, and I see where I need to work from here, maybe now I'm going, well, my gut's still not where it needs to be. What do I need mm -hmm. to do? But then you can go back and go, wow, like I eat gluten, my fingers swell up. And the weight will go up three pounds on the scale. The very next day. Yep, boom. 
And that is because you're retaining water? What I mean, is- yeah, I had an inflammatory response. My body did not like that. I mean, one of the fastest ways we can change things, right, is change what's at the end of your fork. But you eat things that don't work for your body and it gets inflamed. And then that inflammation can shut down muscle protein synthesis. So then you can't use your protein as well and build muscle. Mm. So there's all these cascading issues that happen when you're eating these damaged. I, I really think of them as the dirty processed foods. And they lurk, again, they pose everywhere. And quite often when someone decides, I'm going to go gluten-free. <laughs> I remember I t- had a client go gluten-free and she comes bopping in. She's so proud of herself because she found gluten-free cookies and cupcakes. And I was like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> like, you just, you need the things that don't have to say gluten-free because an avocado never had gluten before. <laughs> right? <laughs> And the funny thing is, actually, recently I went to a restaurant and you know me, I yeah, I can't eat gluten, I can't eat soy, I can't eat sesame, can't have canola. Those are usually the four things I say whenever I sit down. And it's very sweet of them, but they then bring me, oh, here's gluten-free bread. And <laughs> anyone else may not realize that that is can have some metabolic damage or have some, you know, like some uh, brain fog, like depending on what's in it. And so that's almost my response is like, that's very kind. I just don't know what's in it. Yeah. And so now I, I don't even have that. But once upon a time, I was like, oh my God, gluten-free bread, I guess I can have it. <laughs> or like it was back, I mean, like back in the day we said, right, the belief was fat makes you fat. So anything that's fat-free, oh, it means that I can eat it, not realizing that they're taking out the fat only to put in the sugar. Right. Um, and then something else I want to make sure that we mention, because you've mentioned protein a few times and the importance of it. I heard what I wanted to hear when I was younger. And so I heard protein was really good. I heard fat and sugar and carbs were bad. So I ended up basically only going on a, pro- on a protein diet. I was having my vegetables were very low. And every meal, it was like as much, how much chicken and shrimp can I put in my body to try and fill me up mm. so that I wouldn't be hungry. And that had the, a bad yeah, that's, on effect. That's, that's not the way to go either. Yeah, no. <laughs> the mono macro diet is mm-hmm. not the way to go. So we have fat, we have carbs, we have protein. We need them all. We yeah. actually don't need carbs. We can live without carbs and we can fuel on ketones, but I don't think it's a preferential way to go. And, you know, that's another, like the keto diet has some really great applications for people who have seizures. You know, or if you need to quickly restore blood sugar balance. But for the most part, I'm not a fan of that one either. Mm. And I think people don't realize you can gain fat on the keto diet. Like, you know, overdo it on all of that fat. And guess what? And especially for women, like, you know. I, when I first heard about keto, Tom went on it. He was like, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, let me try. And I had really bad gut issues at the time. It was like at one of the height. And so I inevitably started adding fat back because it was the keto diet i started to feel amazing and then so i was like oh this is my life now i'm mm. st- i'm only keto right and <laughs> then i realized like oh it became um almost more detrimental to me afterwards because i thought well as long as i can just keep eating fat so i was having like a lot of cheese and you know not really thinking about the dairy in mm. it and so i again went too hard too much and didn't just take the small takeaway and the takeaway is that in general having a heavier fattier diet for me feels great and And that's when we can manipulate like if you look at the macros we have protein we don't that's really there's not a lot of room there it goes up a little bit like i 
I've really been looking at all the research because I'm working on my next book around this. And so I was like, holy smokes, there's stuff all over. But most of most of what you're seeing here, um, or actually the RDA for protein, is based on World War II numbers when we were rationing food. And it was like the minimum that you need to oh, like God. sustain life. That's not what we're trying to do here, right? Oh, yeah. You wouldn't get 60 milligrams of vitamin C a day, which is the RDA, and go, wow, nailed it. Mm-hmm. No. So, How much should you be getting? Depends if you're under stress or not, because your adrenal glands really like will suck up the vitamin C. It also depends on your um, so stress levels and your if you're immune compromised. But I think two grams is kind of the two divided doses. Two grams of vitamin C. Yeah, and it can go up from there. Mm. You know, recovering from surgery, what whatever. Anyway, so back over to protein. Protein's an absolute. You can modify fat and carbs. And what's so interesting is all the diets out there, they're like high fat, high carb. Like they Mm -hmm. modify that, but they don't really address much in the way of protein. It's just kind of this afterthought. You want to start first with protein. And if you first eat protein in the right amount, it's more thermic than those other two macronutrients. It requires more for your body to digest it. But what you want to do is eat the sweet spot. So it's being used to, to rebuild your body not to try to be used as fuel. You can use it as fuel, but it's not what your body wants to Mm. use as fuel. Your body wants to use carbs or fat as fuel. So it can, but ideally you're eating the right amount for your body to use to rebuild. And that is about 0.8 grams per pound of ideal body weight. Mm. I will drive it up higher if someone is, like when my son was in the hospital with the 13 fractures and he was catabolic, I was like heaving. I was one and a half grams per pound of, of ideal body weight heaving it with them with doing really high quality protein supplements mm-hmm. to get it in. Um, and the lowest to me is like that 0.6 grams. That's one of the challenges with a lot of the fasting is short term. It can be great, trigger autophagy, good for your body. because means it's like your body's taking out the cellular trash, can help with restoring blood sugar balance. But if we're working on muscle and women in their 30s, 40s, 50s, you better be getting your muscle on so you can play full out at 100. Because, you know, you look at women 65 who, who fall, they die. Like, they fall, they die. And muscle is the key to that. Muscle is the key to metabolism. So protein first. When you start your meal with protein, you actually have a better blood sugar response. You're not as hungry. It's more satiating. Mm. Then I build in non-starchy vegetables. And I know if I'm eating animal protein, I'm getting some healthy fats in there too, because I'm doing, I'm not eating the white bread of, of animals. I'm not doing like, you know, mm-hmm. corn fed beef and, and crappy fish. You're eating the clean, good sources. You have to spend your money on that. Non starchy veggies. And then you start to play around with how much fat and how much carbs. And truthfully, there's a lot, your genetics have a lot to do there. I was going to ask you about genetics, because that is actually a part of one thing that I'd love for you to say what are the benefits, but also, this part of me, and I'd love for you to either debunk it or agree, um, people use genetics as the excuse. It's like, well, I can't, you know, my genetics. And Except, so how- okay, like excuses why they're overweight? Excuses of, of anything, yes. Why excuses they're not- why they're sick? Yes. Go back to the 1900s. I think it was one half of a percent of the population was obese, it's over 30%. It's over a third now. So that's not a genetic shift. Genes don't change like that. Mm -hmm. You look at the increase in cancer, heart disease, um, osteoporosis, dementia, diabetes, 
look at what's happened over the last 50, because it's really been, we really screwed things up in like the 80s. Things started to really go sideways. Mm -hmm. But even in the 50s, as we started to do like vegetable oils and crap, look at the shifts and the shifts towards being more sedentary and the shifts with the phones and so much more stress and all of that, you know, all of the blue light at night screwing up Mm -hmm. our sleep. That's not genetics. That's epigenetics. And that's an entirely different thing. So we have our genetic predispositions, but that's a predisposition. You don't have to make that a reality. Your lifestyle is going to decide which way things go. And, you know, as the more you dig into genetics, you go, oh, wow, what are the big things that shift your genetics for you? Exercise, sleep, eating right, great relationships, believing in something bigger than you whatever that belief might be, all these things are like, oh, that really helps with your genes, you know. You might have to work a little harder. Your margin for error might be a little bit smaller. But it's not a sentence. It's not a reality. Dude, and that's so, thank you for saying that, because that's the thing, like, I'm really trying to think of the things that we use as reasons that we don't push ourselves because it is uncomfortable. And I think we're we're dismissing what we can really freaking bring to the table. Like we're dismissing ourselves. We're not putting ourselves first. And so when I think about like the people that may be saying like, oh, it's genetic, so I can't, you know, let's say I've always wanted to run the marathon. But genetically, you know, my family all have like really bad knees, so I can't run the marathon. It breaks my heart that person isn't doing the thing that they really want to freaking do because they use, maybe not, not deliberately, but they've got an idea of something that is holding them back and so by you saying that like it's a disposition but it doesn't mean that that's your sentence is hopefully really going to wake people up like that they can now actually take action that's so exciting for me i just heard i went and spoke at a gal's conference and they had a speaker after me who who was said something and i went i i wish i could remember his name because i was like i this is the greatest statement i've ever heard if you decide that you're going to go start to get exercise, it's going to be hard. But if you decide not to, and your joints are aching, and it's harder to move things out of the car and work, that's going to be hard. Choose your heart. Choose your heart. What do you think that that is? As you were saying, I was like, they're both hard, but one is passive. It's all happening to me. My back hurts. Mm-hmm. The other one is you having to say, I'm going to walk into this pain. Right. And I think that that might be the difference. I, you know, that same mentor, Kay, who I, I just hope she, she knows, like, at this point, like, this is the woman. It's amazing how one person can be a catalyst and change so many things in your life. But she would talk about this, the idea that we all have a comfort zone. And and that comfort zone might be your story. Mm. Your story of like, you know, like I had, I blew out my knee when I was 17 because I was doing point ballet. And now I could have just said, well, game over, Mm. you know. And what I did was it changed my whole career because I was like, all right, I need to figure out how to, how to work with this, how to make it great, how to do it, you know, do all of this stuff. Um, I think so often we have to choose what we want our identity to be. Now, I love what Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about. We're breaking the habit of being yourself. Mm-hmm. Like if, you're, if your habit of being yourself is to be a victim, you've got to break that habit. And you can. You can do it in an instant. But you've got to fix this and you've got to think about 
Like if we're never better than when we're challenged, how can you just start to push out of that comfort zone a little bit? Every, you don't have to go like if you're sitting on the couch, go, you know what, I'm going to run a marathon. You don't have to do that. But maybe you say, I'm going to walk 20 minutes after dinner every night. Mm-hmm. And you get a dog to make sure you do. Like mm-hmm. something, you know, yeah. <laughs> like something. You know, but what if it just you just kept pushing yourself out? And the way she explained it to me, she said, you know, we all have our comfort zone. And a lot of times we're comfortable in our comfort zone. We're not happy. That's the crazy thing, but we've gotten used to it, right? And so this is just how it is, and you'll complain, you'll build a whole story around it, you know? You have to make it, you have to rationalize it, so it's my genes, oh, you know, my mom was like that, right? All that stuff, mm-hmm. all the story that you do. So, but the way she described, she goes, and I was going to use this story, I went, well, that wouldn't really be that bad. Like, she goes, well, what if you came and sat on my lap? I'm like, I hardly... Like, you've sat on my lap before. Yeah, like, really. Really. But, but, you know, if someone came and sat on your lap, you'd be like, well, that's a little, like, okay, let me just adjust a little bit. That's a little uncomfortable. But then you're like, oh, I'm easing into this. It's kind of fun. Like, you're, you know, this is great. And you get comfortable. You new comfort zone. And so that's what we just have to think of is, yeah, it's uncomfortable mm-hmm. for a little bit. And then you got a new comfort zone. You just push out a little bit more. And you get used to being a little uncomfortable. And that becomes your new normal. And that changes everything. Also, as that becomes your new normal, you can even tell yourself, I'm the type of person that never used to do this. And yet today I'm doing that one little thing. Like I think it comes back down to as well the confidence that you have to keep going and to feel good, like to really want the end result, even when you get uncomfortable. And when I started to notice the shift in my mom, she was the person that was sitting on the sofa. She was very overweight. And again, it's not about the weight. It's just, it broke my heart that I was like, I may lose my mom sooner than I should. Well, the weight was was stopping her from living a life that she really was supposed to live. That's the challenge. Like there's all the shame thing around the weight, but the weight is just one of the things holding her back from her life mm-hmm. when it didn't need to be. And exactly. And what happens was as she started to be the person that would use the excuse, I'm too old, it's mm-hmm. raining outside. Oh, yeah. Right. She <laughs> then became the person that was like, oh, it's raining outside. Great. I'm going to drive to the nearest grocery store. She actually did this, drove to the nearest grocery store, put on her little Fitbit, walked her five miles up and down the aisle, bought an apple and like, you know, like walked out the grocery store. The same damn woman. She reframed who she was. She broke the habit of being that other person. She got so clear on who she wanted to be, and she lived as if. Yes. She became that person. And the final piece to all of this is she went from someone that I saw sad, unhappy, to living her freaking life like she's a 20-year-old, and she's in her 70s, all because she was able to make that mental shift that she believed that she was worthy, mm-hmm. then started to make the action the action steps. But it started mental. It started mental. It started mental. And here's why that's so key. Because if it hadn't started mental, like if it was for a thing like this, because I've had this happen. I need your help because I'm going to a reunion, a wedding, mm-hmm, a blah, blah. Mm-hmm. If you do it for something like that, quite often, guess what happens? You go right back to where you were before because you didn't make the mental shift of who you are now. And you don't believe you deserve to be who you are now. And so then you sabotage it Mm. to go right back to where you were. You know, it's like the rubber band that stretched all the way out there and snapped back. Yeah. I used to think, I remember actually when I got married, I was like, oh, well, you're never going to be look this good again. And I was like, what? Like, it's a terrible, now I have a growth mindset. I'm like, what was I thinking? 
thinking. But like there Where was. Where did that, you hear that? There was. It was just like, oh well. You heard it somewhere because yeah, you got that. Yeah, it, you're hundred percent right. It's like, right? oh well, you lose the weight or you get fit for your wedding day. Uh, so here's what's crazy. I did. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but two years I was on Dr. Phil's weight loss challenges. And I remember him saying, you know, we're going to get you to your get real weight. You know, it's not your weight you were in high school. And I'm like, why not? What if that's your get real weight? Like, why can't it be? Why are you already limiting these people that, you know, maybe that's their their ideal weight that they'd love to be at and they can do it. So it could be. Yeah. Or maybe, just maybe, you could be your very best, feel your best, look your best in your 50s or 60s, or 70s. What if that was your goal? And it's entirely possible because the only limitations are the limitations in your mind. And if you saw yourself there and you create that and realize what that life will do for you, mm. see, it's not a weight thing. Mm-mm. It's a, this is how I want to live my life with great confidence, feeling incredibly healthy, having amazing energy. Now, what do I need to do to get there? all right, maybe I need more muscle. Maybe I need to blood sh- balance my blood sugar. I definitely need to work on my sleep. I'll pick one at a time because I'm not crazy. Because mm-hmm. if I try to do them all at once, I will accomplish nothing. And once I get that one nailed, and I don't believe this 31, 21 days for the habit thing. I like, who knows how long it takes. Maybe it takes a day, maybe it takes a month. It took me six months for meditation to get mm. kick in. Holy smokes. You know, so it, it takes whatever it takes. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because we're not sprinting. Yeah, I think that's super important to address and then letting go of the other habits. So like for my mom or, you know, people like, OK, I'm going to start. But the people that actually have habits that are holding the back on the opposite side, mm-hmm. the thing that I hear about a lot is um, especially women where they're just running themselves into the ground on a treadmill. And it's like, I need to lose the weight. I want to feel good about myself. But they won't just because they like that's not how they're going to feel good about it. Right. right. So. I like to think in food in terms of swaps, but you also do that in terms of habits. And what was interesting when I was on Freaky Eaters, we would have people who had these crazy weird habits. So we would have to swap it so they wouldn't be in the situation where they put like, you know, tartar sauce on everything. Like Mm. we're like, what can we swap? What's Mm. the habit we can swap? And so I remember one guy would drive down this fast food lane to go to work every morning, and inevitably he couldn't control himself, so we'd pull into one of the places and get stuff. So we just changed his route. So what do we need to do? Like, you know, I, case in point, Tim and I got into this very bad habit where we would, every night, we'd like shut down from work, like six or so. And this is, you know, you work at home. It's not like you left an office, so you have this transition. No, there's no transition. We're like, okay, transition for us is open a bottle of wine. Mm. So every night, open a bottle of wine, make dinner, you know, glass of wine with dinner, turn on something on Netflix, sit down there with dinner, like what I tell people not to do, I'm admitting it. Okay, everything in broad daylight, drink a glass of wine, have another glass of wine. And I was like, this is, and I kept showing up on my meditation, change your evening routine, this is lame, Mm -hmm. like stop this, right? And finally, I told him, we're like, we cannot do this anymore. We just stopped at cold turkey, just we're like, okay, we'll make dinner. Then we'll go for a walk. Then we'll come to a sauna and watch Netflix. And it was like, what a shift. But we just had to swap the activity. You know, we were doing one thing. I always say, if, if you're like one of those nighttime eaters, here's your swap. Go get in the bathtub. But what about the wine drink- drinking, though? Because I have heard that, yeah, oh, a glass of wine a day is actually really good for you. 
I have a feeling that the pandemic, that I'm not alone in what happened <laughs> yeah. in the pandemic, in that it's like, oh, a glass of wine. Oh, okay, well, one, one making dinner, one with dinner, maybe two with dinner, oh, one after dinner. Then all of a sudden you're like, should we open another one? <laughs> you know, you're like, you go out to dinner and they give you the four ounce pour and you're like, what is that? What's that? Is that like a shot? <laughs> That's my sin. What is that? I should so, test the gloss. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there is a lot of benefit uh, to having a glass of wine at night with dinner. And I think you have to watch if it becomes something you have to have, mm-hmm. you know? And so it got to be such a habit and it wasn't a glass. It was two glasses or more. And all of a sudden we're not like accomplishing it. Like, go, what are we doing? We're flopping around here doing nothing. And so I think you always have to look at something and go like, is, is this, has this become kind of stepped over the line, you know? And so for us, it's like, Okay, we'll have we'll have wine when we go out. We'll just save it, but we're not getting into that like rut. And we weren't having a glass. Yeah. Like I know a glass for women, two glasses for men. But ultimately, I was like, well, I'm a tall gal. A gal. I can have two. You know, it it's it just a big test. Of these things is like, is this working for me? Like dark chocolate, incredible for your health. I try to have some dark chocolate every single day, but I'm not going to sit down and and mow through a bunch of dark chocolate. I'll mm. have a piece or two, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm fine. But if someone's like, if I have one piece of dark chocolate, I'm eating the, the chocolate bar and then another chocolate bar. Yeah, don't eat cho- dark chocolate. Like yeah. salted, crunchy almond butter. Now, a healthy food. If you're standing in the refrigerator with a spoon, with the jar open, not a healthy food, right? Oh. Too much healthy food is unhealthy. That's how I approach almond butter. I lose my mind. So you just got to know which things work for you. I love that. And I... Wh- Many things I love about you, but one of the things is you're very honest, right? It's like, I think that it's super important for people to hear that you need to enjoy your life. And there are moments where people, at least for me, I get hyper restrictive because I'm like, oh, that's Mm. bad for me. It's hurting my, you know, Lisa, this is going to, you know, maybe age you quicker. Oh, well, then I'm not going to have it. That has been very detrimental to my enjoyment of life, uh-huh. to my mindset. Right? To, so I love that you're saying this. But, but I used to be like that too. Mm. I think we've all done that, right? Where we're like, okay, I'll just cut all that out. And I'm actually healthier now. Now, I do not believe everything in moderation. That one, that Ooh, one, okay. everything in moderation. I was like, no, no, because I don't believe artificial sweeteners in moderation are okay. Mm. I don't think canola oil in moderation is okay. I don't think you know, sugar really in moderation is okay. So I don't believe in everything in moderation. Um, there are certain things I think should be totally off the table, like artificial sweeteners. I just think we need to get rid of them. They are a failed experiment. But, you know, I used to be super duper restrictive, like so restrictive about everything I do. And the other side of restrictive is like going off the rails. Indulgent, yeah. There's no in between. Yeah. And so the thing I did in between was something called a three bite rule, like just have a little bit of it and just, you know, get over it. But if you've been super restricted, there is no three-bite rule. You'll lose your mind. Mm. So it's really moving to a different place where you're connecting the dots with things and going, okay, I know that if I eat sourdough bread, I'm going to have achy fingers the next day. However, we were at Il Fornaio the other night. Now, we never get to go to Il Fornaio because there's no Il Fornaio in Tampa. And they have this ciabatta bread that I love. And so I had a piece of ciabatta bread with like a cup of olive oil. <laughs> And I was like, that's fine. I'm not doing this all the time. I know how my fingers will be a little swollen tomorrow. I took some gluten enzymes. It's worth it. I made the call, right? Because mm-hmm. I've connected the dots. 
gluten enzymes? Yes. I take really? enzymes that break up, break down gluten and dairy. Like I, I use ones when I have someone going through food intolerance, like cleansing, yeah. I'll have them take enzymes that break down gluten, dairy, eggs, corn, soy, right? To just start to help them break through those immune complexes. Because if you are over the age of 35 or under any stress, so that's like everybody, you are lowering your stomach acid, not breaking apart your protein well, then it gets your small intestine and you've now got to leak your small intestine because you've been eating gluten or fructose that makes it leaky or taking any pain meds or under any kind of stress, more leaky. And then it gets out and starts creating an inflammatory response. It makes you crave those very foods that are hurting you, which is why intuitive eating doesn't work. Because it seeps into your bloodstream, is that correct? The, the things that your body should be using now are in your bloodstream and it's going, what is this? Mm-hmm. Like it interprets it, it interprets it as a foreign invader instead of a healthy item. And so it sends out these antibodies and these antibodies grab hold of these proteins and they make these immune complexes. And then it, ideally your body has like little Pac-Man macrophages, they come and eat them. But if there's too many of them, they build up. So if it's stuff you're eating every day, even just a little bit, these immune complexes build up and they'll do things like joint pain, headaches, brain fog, skin problems, trigger autoimmune responses, all sorts of stuff. I had so, all of that. And, you know, the most common, this is like all the stuff. When I wrote The Virgin Diet, what happened was I was looking at food sensitivity tests as part of the whole weight loss resistance kind of spectrum. And I started to see that what we do as a typical elimination diet wasn't addressing what the most common food intolerances were. Mm. So I was like, why are they making this so hard? Oranges and, and strawberries. I'm like, I never see them show up. It's gluten and dairy, eggs, corn, soy, peanuts were the top ones. And the top, gluten and fructose are what will make your gut more permeable. It's big things they do is they trigger the release of a protein that makes your, your uh, tight junctions loosen. Like, not good. I find most people do better without those, mm. you know. I just, Thank you for actually foods. bringing up the digestive enzymes because I forgot that that's one thing that massively helped me with like just being able to digest food because I used to get stomach upsets as well every time I would eat. And so having these enzymes that breaks down your foods for your body to be able to mm-hmm. easily digest it makes you feel better. Going back to brain fog, like it definitely, it helped all of that I mean, it's such me. a great, tri- everyone deserves a trial yeah. of these. So how many how should does. they have? What types? And then when do they take them? Ideally, like 15 to 30 minutes before a meal. But if you screw up like half time, I'm like, shoot, I forgot. You're having, you know, <laughs> then just take them, you know, um, Look for betaine's great because it's great, or proteases, things that are going to break apart protein. Um, and then I like using things like lipase stuff that help you with with or ox bile things that help you digest fat. How do you know if you're not digesting fat well? Well, I'm glad you asked, Lisa. Now you need to do that in a British accent. <laughs> Let's look at your potty, and we all look at our poop. So don't try to say you don't. Don't you look at your poop? Yeah, of course. Of course, we look at our poop because we should. And if you see on the water that's like an oily film or it's skidding, you're not digesting your fat well. So, you know, this is a really important one, too, is to make sure that you're digesting your fat well. You can get some with amylase. Here's the thing. 
that will help you digest carbohydrates. I think we're really good at that for the most part. And when you look at that, sometimes that could increase your blood sugar response to the meal if you're able to, to really pull about your carbs fast. It's why we want to eat things that have more fiber in them to slow that, you know, slow that blood mm -hmm. sugar response. So I'm most concerned about the protein and then using, I like it if you have some that help with gluten and help with dairy, that's fantastic bonus points. Mm -hmm. If you're working, I use a separate one just when I'm working in food intolerance that is dairy and gluten and soy and corn and, and doing that route and eggs. But for general, it's really focusing protein, a little some fat, and then gluten dairy. That was so specific. I love that. All right, girl, you've done so much in the health space from, you know, the fitness side to the nutrition side to like the mindset side. What is the thing that holds us women back the most that you've seen in trying to get healthy? It's because we don't make ourselves a priority. You know, I had a client once. She came to me because she was the sole financial support for her family. She had had a heart attack. She was in her 50s, freaking out. She's like, you know, what are they going to do without me? And I'm like, why don't we make that not a thing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know. So, you know, we decided to work together and she's supposed to report in. And I give her what she's supposed to do and she leaves and crickets. I'm like, well, that's weird. Like, and, you know, I reach out a couple times and I'm like, I'm, you know, not your babysitter. If you're not responding, I'm not going to keep reaching. And I finally hear from her like a month later. She goes, oh, I'm sorry. I had all these things I had to get to first. I had to get my life insurance. <laughs> you know? I'm like, oh, okay, that makes a ton of sense. Let's focus on your life insurance before we focus on your health assurance. That would be really smart. But I think, you know, when you look at someone's to-do list, where are they falling in there? Where's the self-care and why are we feeling guilty about doing these things? And especially if you're a mom and you want to raise healthy kids. You know, I, I remember I had a client who smoked and I said, do you want your kids to smoke? She goes, oh, my kids aren't going to smoke. I go, well, you gave them permission. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my kids eat healthy. Everyone always says, how do your kids eat? I'm like, they eat healthy. Why do they eat healthy? I didn't shove it down their throats. They saw me eating healthy. You know, I always had healthy food around. I taught them to eat the healthy stuff first, but I would still take them out and get Cold Stone Creamery or stuff like that. But, you know, basically we ate 80 to 90% healthy. And so that's how they eat. They're used to it. Are they active? Yes, because we're all active. So they're used to being active. They sleep? Yes, because we sleep, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, be the role model. If you cannot yet in your mind make yourself that top priority for you, then make it for your family first, if that's what you need to do, <laughs> to get yourself yeah, over the yeah. hump, you know? But, you know, this has to change by you being first on your list. And that is not being selfish. The reality is being first on your list is being selfless. It is truly that oxygen mask on first, right? Mm-hmm. God damn, we as women do not prioritize. And that was exactly why I really want to make sure that we had this interview, that we're just talking about health, female health specifically, what holds us back so that we can really freaking take ownership so that we can actually show up and really feel good about ourselves. So girl, thank you so much. Where can people find you? And you are just nonstop doing just amazing things. So where can people find everything? I know, well, that you're we're doing? back out in the world now. Yes, so it's we fun. Are. So jjvirgin.com. Everything is linked, including my podcast with you. Yeah, That is. was super fun. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff on the horizon. I am like now actively built. You got me inspired on my YouTube channel. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Amazing. 
Guys, guys, you've got to go check her out. And if you want more episodes on health and the importance of female health, click that um, click that bell right there and so that you can be notified so that the next time we talk about health, you will be first to watch. Guys, until next time, please be the hero of your own life and take your health seriously. Peace.